Hello everyone, Robbie here and welcome to episode 53 of the Coach's Journey podcast with Sarah Fox. Imagine being able to use your skills, expertise and resources in a way that makes the world a better place while meeting all of your own needs as well. It is a bold, brave goal and one that Sarah, founder and CEO, as she explains in this episode now, of Do Good and Do Well, has put at the very centre of her work as an EMCC accredited coach, mentor, teacher, trainer and facilitator. In this episode, Sarah shares the personal and professional experiences that shaped her vision for a company that helps people flourish, enhances their well-being and allows them to contribute meaningfully to the change they want to see in the world. Sarah sheds light on the hardships and injustices that instilled her with the determination to use her gifts to bring about positive change and describes how the highs and the lows of self-employment led her to create Lasting Impact, her program to help freelancers contribute to the greater good while ensuring they remain financially stable. Sarah's journey into coaching, which took her from drama and theatre studies to roles in data entry, education and the not-for-profit sector, is an inspiring one. And the theme of belonging appears throughout her story, along with the values of empathy, care, kindness and courage, which permeate her work. In the episode, we talk about uh, surefire ways to grow your coaching business. Bet you can't wait for that. Um, How to know when it's the right time to go freelance. The deep thinking required behind how to set your fees. How we can contribute to the greater good in the world. Uh, the importance of cultivate, cultivating the healthy, wise Jedi parts of ourselves. And Sarah and I also get into a, a conversation about our approaches to managing the finances of our business, um, explaining various tips and tricks that have empowered us to feel better about money and secure in our work. And as I was reflecting on that part of this episode, I realized I was guilty slightly of a thing that I think lots of people in the coaching world are, you know, which is basically to, to say something slightly vague which could, about, about our success, which could be interpreted in different ways. And so I just wanted to be really clear, actually. Like, I, I've got in mind that I'll, I'll do an episode at some point in the future. I've been thinking about talking to uh, a colleague, former client of mine, getting him on the show to talk about this, but about the literal numbers, and we talk so much about finance in this episode, without Sarah or I actually really naming how much we make. Um, And we both say slightly, Sarah says a more clear thing, and I say a slightly vague thing about the amount of tax I pay. So I just want to be really clear that that last financial year was my best ever year in my coaching business. I turned over about £70,000, and the profit then for the first time for me will be in in the UK over in, over £50,000, which means uh, into a new tax bracket. And that's the kind of slightly vague veil thing that I say, which could, if people were thinking I'm way more successful than I am, make them think I'm, I'm paying like, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the like, I can't remember, I don't even know where it is. That shows how much money I've ever made in the, you know, £140,000 um, bracket or, or wherever that that next tax bracket comes in in the UK. So I think just think that stuff is so important. And what I love about this conversation with Sarah is that we get into some of the real nitty gritty about that stuff. And then suddenly I had this little little niggle afterwards that I was like, whoa, I did that thing that we all we all do a lot of the time. Like it's really hard to just name the things, uh, <laughs> you know, the things that that the numbers that make up how our business works. And, you know, you can, if you want, you can hear about how my fees have evolved over time. I think that's all the way back in episode number eight, or you can find a video about it on the Robbie Swale YouTube channel. So if you want to check that out, please do. And um, also right in the middle at the start of this episode, we start talking about challenges. That's how I first met Sarah as part of my 100 podcasts challenge. And Sarah tells this story that I didn't know at all about, um, a hundred uh, coaching a hundred people for free twice each in her first hundred days or something like that in her coaching business. Um, and I just wanted to say, if you want help designing a challenge like that, that's something I love to do as part of the coaches journey community. Um, I did one. So the September call, um, which, which comes up in just a couple of weeks. So, so check out the coachesjourney.com 
uh, slash community to find out when that date is. In the September call last year, we, I worked with somebody to, to design a challenge for them between then and Christmas, which they learned an enormous amount from, created clients from. Um, of course, it doesn't work out exactly how you want or imagine, but they stepped into incredible courage um, in the face of that challenge. I'd love to do that again with somebody. So if you want some help designing a challenge to help really kick your coaching business um, into gear in some new way, then perhaps joining the Coaches Journey community could be for you. If you don't know what it is, um, it's my affordable, flexible uh, group coaching program for coaches who want to create thriving businesses and thrive while they do it. So so some of that same do good, do well piece that Sarah is talking about. Um, and the September call, um, you can, it's for all the members. So there's different tiers of membership you can have starting from at the moment, £10 a month to £100 a month. You can come to different amounts of group coaching calls and get some one-to-one time with me, depending on which which level you join. The September call is always one of the ones that's a great time to try out the, the community because you can Whatever level you might think you want to stay at, you just join at the £10 level, pay £10, come to the call. Um, I'll design a challenge with you that I'm pretty sure will create hundreds of pounds in your business if you follow it through. Like I, I As far as I can guarantee that kind of thing in coaching, we'll get to that in the episode. I, I do that. Um, and then if you don't want to stay as part of the community, you can just cancel and there'll be no hard feelings. People have done that plenty of times. I still like them. Um, and of course, if you want to stay, that's that's fantastic too. But the September time, and because of some changes to the tiers, this may be the last time that you'll be able to join for just £10 um, a call. I'm not 100% sure about that, but just a great time to try that out, to get some coaching, and let's see if we can't um, kickstart your coaching business in that way. Uh, I'm so grateful to the people that are... That are um, uh, are members of the community and supporters of the podcast. You know, either way, they, they give some money, sometimes in exchange for coaching or as a supporter just to help keep the podcast going. Um, you find out more about both of those at patreon.com slash the coach's journey. And there's loads about the community at the coach's journey.com slash community. Big thank you in particular today to David Norris and Joey Owen for, for your continuing support. So that's a lot from me. I loved meeting Sarah when when she had me on her show um, and I loved having her on mine. I hope you enjoy Sarah's energy. I really did. Um, And without further ado, enjoy the Coach's Journey podcast episode number 53. Sarah, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, and uh, uh, we we first met, um, Sarah has a great podcast and um, it has one particularly great episode that I know about, which has got, mm. <laughs> just got me on it. Features um, Robbie. But like, I, I think I said this to you at some point, like you played a really key role in my crazy idea last year to appear on 100 podcasts because I put that <laughs> challenge out there and you sent me a message on Twitter pretty soon after I mentioned it saying, yeah, come on my show. And I think we, like, I knew about you, but only a bit via Twitter, I think. Like, I don't think we'd, we might talk about this. I don't think we'd connected. Like, we'd, I don't think either of us can remember connecting actually through the cultural sector, although we do both have no. some background in that and, and know quite a lot of people in common. Um, And so it was quite a thing. It was like, you know, I on some level, I knew that that challenge was possible but also to have somebody I essentially didn't know respond to it in the way that I kind of needed some people to respond to it began to make it possible so um we actually didn't it we then it then took us ages to actually do that but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whole time that um that was a part of that so thank you for that 
No, you're very welcome. I love those kind of challenges. When I first started my coaching, I did, I coached 100 people for free in 100 days. And so that's like, it's really up my street to do that kind of thing. And I think there's such a generosity. Um, and, you know, connection is important, isn't it? And getting to know people who share the same values and can, yeah, freelancing being self-employed solo coach whatever it can be a very lonely journey so I'm always up for finding people to have conversations with yeah sure so so that's interesting I mean we'll we'll kind of get into the journey in different ways but um so where did you get that idea to do a hundred coach a hundred people in a hundred days (laughs) um so oh I so I launched my coaching practice in March 2020 which is obviously a fantastic time to start a business by, by coincidence um, or, or <laughs> yeah or, by yeah. Co- yeah yeah so I had kind of been it, it it sort of taken me a while to decide that actually no coaching is the thing I want to do and I want to I don't want to go back into employment I want to see what it's like to start a business and do that and do this work um and has kind of made that decision <clears throat> um and then obviously the pandemic happened and I was a bit like, oh, what do I do? I did just not going to look like what I thought it was going to look like. And I'm, a, I'm, you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience in coaching. Although I, looking back, actually, I had more than I thought I had. And um, I was doing, have you heard of W. Becks? It's like mm. an American... I don't know what you'd call it. Like they, they, they do lots of... Um, they do like a uh, what's it called? It a summit for, every a summit. year. Yeah, yeah. If people don't know it. It's, yeah, it's for cool. coaches. Yeah, I think I've like I. <laughs> they probably realised I probably didn't get enough customers from me for a while. I was they I was like a an affiliate partner. This show was so if people listen to certain episodes um, from like okay eighteen months and two and a half years ago, they'll find a little advert for W Becks because because uh, I had Marsha Reynolds on the show who. Um, Oh, did does a you? lot of partnership with, yeah. with with WBEX. Yeah, she um, does. And so, yeah, it stands for the World Business and Executive Coaching Summit. But really what it is, is just like, well, I don't know. I've never paid for the full version, but the free one. No, I haven't. When I was either. first starting out, is like, <laughs> I don't know. I find it kind of a little a little hit and miss, but it's free. So you can't really argue with it. But in, when, I, when, I was yeah. in, when I went to it and when I was kind of early in my business, because it's like free training from world-leading people. Exactly. Um, yeah okay exactly. and so you were you were on w bex were you so i, so I was doing their i was doing their free summit trying to and i was and also i was doing loads of free stuff with emcc as well which is the um european mentoring and coaching council um and they were offering lots of free stuff at the time as well so i was just consuming all of this training and trying to understand like where I stood within coaching and what my coaching might look like and there was um and I cannot remember the name of this man Jonathan Reese maybe he um yeah I could be totally wrong with that anyway he this person who I was watching said wow if you're a new coach it was about new coaches if you're a new coach just like offer loads of free coaching he didn't say offer 100 uh, days worth of coaching to 100 people, but I like to take things to the extreme. And I, that, and I just thought, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, wouldn't it be great to do 100, free, 100 people working with them for free over 100 days? That sounds like fun. 
Uh, and it would be a way of me practicing my coaching. And so everybody got two half hour sessions. Um, I wouldn't recommend that necessarily recommend that, by the way. I think there is something in in that chucking yourself in and and coaching in that way. I learned an awful lot about my style of coaching, about who I wanted to coach, about starting a session quite quickly and ending the session you know because I was like moving through one to the next to the next to the next yeah and in a 30 minute um, session if you mess around too much with small talk you've used up half the session exactly so I got very good at going I, I didn't do small talk I was like right what what's what's on your mind straight <laughs> yeah. away um and yeah so that's sort of how I did it and I mean I I looking back there are things I wish I had done, you know, in terms of more marketing and more capturing people's information and data, not data, but like email addresses and getting them on my newsletter, which I didn't have at the time. And, um, but yeah, but I think about 10% went on to be paid clients eventually. And people are come, like, people still connect with me, you know, they'll come, you know, that was what we're talking three years ago. So I was in the midst of that three years ago. And um, yeah. yeah, did that answer your question? I can't even remember the original question. Uh, it doesn't matter, Sarah. That's the kind of show <laughs> this is. Um, uh, well, let me say a few things. So just for beyond for listeners so that they don't doubt, you said I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing this. I really, really would recommend doing something exactly like that to everyone who is starting a coaching business who wants to grow their coaching business. Um, so I just want to say that with, and, without, so that listeners who, yeah. who don't know me, can get that without any doubt uh, i can talk more about why that but i'm curious for you why you wouldn't necessarily recommend or what what you might recommend and maybe do recommend to coaches if they ask you now yeah i wouldn't recommend the scale of it in a way like because it was how, a how, lot how, how did you get on by the way did you get the 100 yeah did 102 yeah. amazing um and actually i don't are we recording the video? Is this video going? It, it, it probably, yeah, it will. It'll be on YouTube unless, like, the only ones that aren't on YouTube. <laughs> this is, if people are wondering if I've ever been on my <laughs> on the YouTube page and like, why isn't episode five on YouTube? Like, it's it's only not on YouTube when there's like a bit too much editing to be bothered okay, to do. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Minor yeah. Arias, who's in Costa Rica, fantastic episode. Um, but there was a tropical storm midway <laughs> through the interview. His internet went down and like cutting the video together. It'll happen oh, yeah. at some point, but it's like, that to me feels like uh what is it like i'm always thinking 80 20 like people can just listen to that one if they really want to find yeah. completeness I'm of the you. podcast you need to be on spotify anyway so yes the I'm video of this short of tropical storms sarah <laughs> people will see this why what are you going to show us well if you if you so for those of you listening i apologize because you can't see this but <laughs> if you go if you go to any of my social media you can you can see it but um there's a brilliant artist um, called Megan Metcalf, who who's in Margate, and she I commissioned her to do a piece of artwork. You can't, you see that piece here. Oh you yeah, can't, yeah. You might the kind not of bottom left frame really. that we can see. Yeah, yeah. but that she depicted a hundred people, and then there's me oh. in the middle, and she did a little gif or gif. I never quite know how to pronounce that. Um, but but yes, why was I showing you that? Uh, a remember. result of the hundred. I said, result. how many did you do? And uh, you said, that was it. Uh, yeah. that was it. <laughs> um, and. Uh, this is perimenopause often when I stop, forget things. Um, so, yes, it. I think it was very intense. I did it over the summer. 
and actually since then I've said I'm not working in the summer ever you know I'm, I'm ta- I take the whole of August off now to to spend time with my children <laughs> um and husband and uh I, yeah I just think the scale of it I would definitely recommend doing coaching for free for people I definitely recommend setting yourself a challenge because I think you can talk about it there's it's like a project you know you can you can then look at how was it before how was it after what did I learn in between um it's really helpful um to build an audience you know that kind of thing I think the reason I did that as well is because you know remember it was the pandemic and I and I was in a bit of this feeling of how can I help I, I was looking at people particularly in the arts and cultural sector and lots of people had been furloughed or they were working a gazillion more hours than they had been before they were you know it felt very extreme and I just thought what can I do that would make a difference here and that sort of you know I thought well I want to make an impact so yeah I think it was just the I I would definitely recommend practicing and for free and with as many people as you can but I think maybe 100 was was a bit extreme it's a great accelerator for your business though because then you've done 200 coaching sessions 204 um, you've coached 102 different people. You've learned, like you said, yeah. you've learned loads. Yeah. You're, you will be, by the end of that, you will be sharp at doing a 30 minute session, which is a skill I'm really glad I developed. I, I, it's interesting. So I think I've said this on the show before, but I, one of the bits of associate work that I did recommended 30 or 45 minute sessions. And because of that, I got really good at doing 30 or 45 minute sessions, which meant that now when i do longer sessions like it's again it's like the skill of doing a focused 30 minute session means that my 60 minute or 90 minute sessions are different and so it's like those kind of all those things to practice uh all those seeds planted yeah i get i get it and we can maybe talk a bit more later on about like wishing you'd captured the email addresses i have a whole raft of those stories of like oh if only i'd set this thing up you know (laughs) there were great reasons why i didn't set this if only i'd set this thing up like three years ago i'd have like a 500 more emails on my list and that's kind of nonsense the yeah. funniest one recently was like my blog the ridiculous the ridiculous fact that you couldn't subscribe to my blog for six years of it it's like obviously i'd have a whole bunch of sub- more subscribers to that if i'd set it up even two years early earlier mm. than, I, than i did so there's lots of i get that but i just think you you can't overestimate what impact that concerted effort i get it's tiring and i think that that's like but i think that's like energy well spent essentially if you're going to spend if you're going to spend a bunch of energy when you start in the first uh what so you said you started in march and did this over the summer so in the first if you're going to in the first five months of your coaching business spend a load of energy that's a really really solid way to spend it which you will be glad of like that energy will pay you back yeah but remember also that that comes from a place of privilege because i was able to do that i was first of all i was able to leave my job because at the time my husband was working and bringing in quite a good salary so i could take that space to do that and then um <laughs> i spent a few years sort of faffing around growing vegetables and like wondering what on earth i was going to do with my life and 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 i was sort of i was able to do that experimentation because i didn't have to worry at that point about suddenly you know bringing in money into my business i could i could play around with it um so so i think yes it's i learned so much and i um 
I learned so much. I have a story to tell. Like it's, it's an interesting story. I met loads of amazing, amazing human beings who were in, there were real challenges, you know, in that, in that space at that time as well. Yeah, people was, felt so uncertain about, so uncertain, so unsafe. Um, and, but, you know, I was able to do it. I was privileged enough to be able to do that. Um, yeah. 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 And just that, like, I completely get that. I completely agree. And what I'd say is, personally, like if you're, my view would be, if you're starting a coaching business, that kind of thing is the, like you weren't doing it for this reason necessarily. That is exactly the smartest move. If you're in coaching for the long haul, that kind of thing, mm. like you kind of have to, if you start from scratch, you kind of have to create the space somehow to do something a bit like that if you want to speed up how your coaching business grows because how your coaching business grows almost always is word of mouth you doing great people doing great with the coach doing great work um building up a referral base like and you created 10 or so clients from that so if people are under pressure to build their coaching business that is still a good move like yeah. it, it's not the you know it's like there aren't we could talk more about this my my again this is a view and and you're totally welcome to disagree my view is there aren't really shortcuts to having a coaching business that sustains the shortest cut is coach a lot of people and the challenge like that does a couple of things it does a load of things including all the things we've said and an important thing about giving away coaching in, in my personal experience is having some container for that so what you did was great, right? You've got 100 days. So after that, you get to choose, do I still want to be giving away coaching in this way? Mm. You also give away just two sessions to everybody, which is a lot to be giving, like a lot of your time, mm. um, you know, through that ability to give away time. But it's not an endless amount of coaching, um, no. which is not necessarily the best thing for anyone to be continually giving away coaching, although there are plenty of times when it's good to just give away mm. a lot of coaching. It's like there's no, there's no, someone on the show once said, uh, coaching is like acting. There's no rules but you have to know them. So it's like, you know, you can do what you like. And it's really wise, I think, to have a container. If you're going to give away a lot of coaching, to have a container yeah. around that. Yeah, um, yeah. We could talk more about this, Sarah. We might. But let's rewind a little bit. So mm -hmm. um, in March 2020, you already knew about coaching. I know a little bit about probably how you came across that and and first came to coaching. But, but for people who don't, and I don't know the actual answer to this question, when did you first come across coaching as a thing? Um, yeah, so I think it came from so I I I worked in an organization called People United for about 10 years, um with uh someone called Tom Andrews, who was my was the CEO of the organization. And, and kind of a, a bit of a mentor for me as well and he uh did a coaching accreditation at some point when I was working there and and he had a naturally coaching approach anyway in his style of leadership um but after the accreditation I think that's when I really kind of noticed some of those um mo co more formal coaching approaches coming in so I I had been coached in a leadership not one-to-one -one, but through through leadership and I and I got to know a bit about what this coaching thing is um then 
and and then when I left that organization I thought oh coaching sounds fun I'm gonna do an accreditation myself um and then recognized actually I'd probably been coaching throughout my whole career you know if I think about essentially coaching is listening helping people to create a space to work through stuff gain new perspectives problem solve be witnessed be seen be heard then actually I'd kind of been doing that I just didn't know it was coaching um so yeah I think I'd experienced it from that level of having a leader who had a coaching approach um and then yeah and then learn more about it yeah yeah tom i knew tom from when i worked at claw leadership program and um uh yeah lovely man with a great presence he used to run this workshop for the fellows at the end of so the for people who don't know the claw leadership program there's two actually there's one in the cultural sector in the uk and it does run internationally and one in this kind of broader charity sector yeah and um, I worked on the cultural sector one and one of the, the flagship program at the time, I think it's changed a bit now. It used to work, you know, it was a, it was a nine month kind of leadership program with lots of parts to it. It started and ended with a residential. And I think it was, I think Tom used to do the last session of the last residential. And basically the fellows, I was there for it once. The fellows would turn up, they'd be like hung over because they, it was their last night, the night before. And so in a bit of a kind of fragile state, they're also in this weird thing, having been on this slightly bizarre trip to Narnia for nine months coming <laughs> back into the world and Tom was there with Lego for them oh um, yeah, yeah. In, on, on that morning and there was um I've got some photos somewhere they came up actually on like what well, you know you know Google Photos shows me like um eight years ago so oh, it would have been like yeah probably like nine or ten years ago today you know was picture of Lego in the on the on the table in that room yeah. from, from that workshop quite recently that came up um, or it must have been last, it was probably last summer, actually. Um, yeah, and so there was that sense that you kind of, so you saw it through him and he was doing it. But then it's interesting that you were doing it the whole time to some extent. So mm -hmm. how, why do you think you were doing it? Like, how had you learned that way of being or developed that way of being? Oh, that's a good question. I uh, Well, I suppose... If I think about kind of, um, you know, what's important to me, what matters, I, I, there's a lot for me around belonging, a lot around helping, I was going to say helping people to feel like they belong, but people do belong. Um, maybe recognising that they belong and helping others to kind of, um, to see that we all belong. Um, and, you know, through, I mean, I was, I trained as a teacher initially uh, in FE, further education. Um, and then I worked for a housing association, working with so-called deprived, I'm doing air quotes, because I, I hate that language, but that was what it, that's what, that's the language that was used at the time, working in deprived neighbourhoods. Um, help. I I think helping people to connect with others, to connect to their place, connect to themselves. Um, 
And that's always been really important to me because I think when I was young, so my dad was a disabled man. He had cerebral palsy and I saw that he didn't belong. He didn't feel like he belonged. He was often excluded from spaces. Um, I was, I grew up in, from, uh, in a very working class background on one of those deprived estates that uh, I, I ended up working on and um felt felt excluded too and, and ended up going to a grammar school felt very different so you know my own experiences of that I think really supported it gave me a sense of empathy I think I mean there's also a lot of people pleasing in there which is a whole other conversation but, <laughs> but if I'm in my wise healthy self it's around it's around empathy and helping just wanting people to feel witnessed that's essentially it that they you know that they're here and that someone sees them for who they are um yeah yeah so seeing how important that was wanting to be like that and then practicing it sounds like in a bunch of different ways doing that yeah and it happened to be one of the vehicles of that was arts and culture you know because that's the so drama was drama and theatre was my thing to start with, um, because because a drama teacher witnessed me, they saw me, um, and offered me the role of Angel Gabriel in the Christmas play, you know. And I had been a very shy child, like I hit. There's so many photos of me hiding behind my mum's legs and like oh, I don't want to be seen. Um, and so I was witnessed and 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 loved loved being part of that. Um, creation of something and working together with people in a team and there is something about theatre and um you know where and people are all in it together and they're you know they're working towards the same goal and they love that they love the they love it they're passionate about it um yeah I've sort of lost my my um my thread now but I think I got into that, okay, so how can we use arts, arts and creativity and imagination as a way of a, of of giving people the space, the time and the space to think about some of this deeper stuff around belonging and kindness and compassion and connection and um, love and play, you know, or very human strengths and characteristics yeah I loved all of that stuff yeah yeah it's very evocative and I I don't know if you know this but I have a really similar story in lots of ways um particularly when you talk about that teacher and what what you know what an opportunity is for those teachers like what a thing they do when they really catch someone and they really see Sarah little Sarah Mm. how old were you then when you were Angel Gabriel um, I would have been ten, I think, nine or ten. Mrs. Right. Burke. Mrs. Burke, what I hear. Amazing. Yeah, Mr. Leaving yeah. it was for me. Yeah. Um, and they see you and have that opportunity to just really see you and catch something in you. Mm-hmm. See some, you know, a little spark of something that even maybe you can't see yourself and then put you somewhere. And then what an interesting place it is, um theatre, for all those reasons you said. You know, I what I think is interesting now is I almost 
I almost never go to the theatre anymore. Like mm. I used to for a long time. I, I don't I don't really miss going to watch stuff. But that experience, like for me, the being in things, like I learned, I do, I do, you know, I have had magical experiences watching, yeah. watching theatre for sure. Um, I could could I could probably talk for a whole two hour podcast episode about them. And the thing that was really transformational was like what happened in the creation, um, yeah. in the way that you're talking about all that collaboration, also the all the things you practice when you're going to be a part of a thing with, I don't know, two to 60 other people who are all going to try and create an experience for two to 120 people in an audience, right? Like it's quite something um, that we are able to give to people and invite people into. And so how much was that then? So there was, because there was further education, but there's also arts and culture in, in your career. Like how did they, as you moved into the world of work, how did they interact with each other? Yeah, so I did my degree in the drama and theatre studies. Um, and then I, well, I mean, there's always weird jobs that you end up doing. I did data entry and yeah. financial services i'm really glad well. to, by the way just a little <laughs> aside you've on your linkedin at the bottom of if you scroll down all the work experience there's I like sales assistant for the aa or something yeah right? the other day i was looking at someone else's linkedin and i was like there's some other jobs that they haven't got on here and do i need to take off at the bottom of my linkedin is like just like the like the things i've actually done as work which includes a lot of administration work yeah. you know in different ways in weird and wonderful places and it's like yeah. so i was glad to see your your time at the AA on your yeah um, I love that and it was so I learned so much that it feels weird not to include it like I was 16 and I'd got this job I had to wear a terrible terrible uniform oh goodness and when it was in the summer oh anyway um I mean I did I made all sorts of mistakes (laughs) in that job um uh, including charging someone almost three and a half thousand pounds for their insurance because I added a, an extra zero on that. Anyway, um, uh, it got refunded, obviously. Yeah, and um, what was the question? So, so yeah, so uh, you know, I was doing all of. I've all, I've worked since I was sixteen, really, which is why the taking the time off felt a bit ooh, weird yeah. for me. Um, and uh, yeah, so I left. I did. Oh, I did my drama degree. Um, weird data entry, financial services. Met my husband there actually, so I'm quite glad for that job. Yeah. Um, and then and then worked in FE. So then did my my teacher training, teaching performing arts. Um, and I loved it. Um, although I have to say I had my worst experience of leadership in that role than um ever in my whole career. Worst worst experience. Um, which. In, you know informs what I do now actually um and uh did that for a couple of years and then I I really liked the tutoring particularly um I ended up having to direct Godspell at one point and musicals weren't really my thing and there was part of me that was like a so there was a bad leadership experience and then there was also this thing about is this really one what I want to be doing I was in my early 20s at that point and I just I feel like there's more and so that's when I left there and started working as a community artist for a housing association in the southeast and really loved that I did that for about three or four years um bringing in artists to work with I mean we work with young people we work with um 
disabled young people. We worked with the gypsy and traveller community. We worked with homeless young people. We worked with older people in residential homes. I mean, like it was just incredible. Um, and what I learned from that is that actually we all have the same hopes and dreams and desires and um sent you know at our core we are the we are the same um and then that was when the 2008 financial crash happened um and it's a housing association and what's the first to go the lovely art department um and they tried to keep me on for eight, like I mean, they were brilliant. They were trying to, like, you know, what it's like in the not-for-profit sector, and you're like trying to grab like bits of money from all over the place to create this little pot. Um, but anyway, uh, in the end, I decided to take redundancy because we were also going through IVF at that at that time. Um, and then, so I had I had about a month. I think there was a month where I wasn't working, and and then I came across this little ad in the paper tiny little ad in the kent newspaper that said looking for project manager for this organization called people united and went for it luckily got it and i was there for 10 years i was a second member of staff you know so tom had set it up and then and then i came along um so yeah it feels like a very natural kind of progression of of the work and and then you know and i had children in that time and it was this brilliant I, I got to work with the most amazing artists, commissioning artists, work with yeah, amazing people partners. People who don't know, and I, when I, that's like a podcaster's way of saying, I can't quite remember. Like, tell us, like, what what was the work that People United was doing and why did so, that matter to you? And how did it, I guess, it, so, for you to stay 10 years, it must have touched into that that those values about belonging and mm. all those things that were important to you. So, yeah, how did that all meld together? <laughs> So, so People United was it's it's a it, it still exists. It's an arts charity um, that explores how arts and creativity can build kinder, more caring communities. And so, the stuff we were talking about—I mean, it, it was about kindness essentially. I mean, um, we we started to really think about um kind of values led a, a pro-social values led methodology working with people so that idea of co-creation so rather than doing arts to people doing a lovely project popping in hi let's do this project and then going away again we wanted to do things that had much more longevity and where you were where you were working alongside people and understanding what they wanted to um get from it and we we commissioned artists to look at particular topics so for example we work with manchester museum to look at the idea of wonder like what is it to feel awe and wonder um and we commissioned um uh, sarah punchin and daniel by and buff um wally to create this amazing huge performance piece within the museum but it was all about this sense of wow look at the world and then we did stuff about love and we did a commission on kindness um we did uh we looked at role models like what it was to to do role models we worked with a school to do that um and essentially all of the work is about i suppose kind of trying to 
trying to unpick some of these human characteristics, like what they what they mean and how we can how we can do good as a community. I mean, that whole my whole thing, my podcast is called Do Good and Do Well. That's my philosophy and the name of the company organization that I'm building. Um, and it came from, you know, it has come from all of that work that I did in that organization, really, that sense of how do we contribute to the greater good and to understand some of these characteristics, what they mean to people um, has really informed my work, I think, how I see things. Yeah, but but I know that also you must have informed all that work that happened at People United, right? Because you were the second person in and you were there for 10 years yeah. and you, I guess you and Tom must have, you know, led that work and, and created more, the other people that worked there. And I think, so you've, I know you've left, I think Tom has also left. So it's like, yeah, amazing. I think yeah. I had a conversation with him actually about the time he was leaving about, because he was interested in, is, I, I don't actually know what he's up to. I haven't, don't think I've spoken to him since, but th- he was interested in, oh, maybe coaching is a part of what happens next for me. So it's amazing also that to catch it because you said the company still exists. That's not nothing, right? The fact that the two of you that have been there almost from the start were able to leave mm-hmm. and the company survives mm-hmm. is, is quite something. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is down to, so Tom was very aware of what it what what could happen being a founder and then leaving an organization so he did a lot of research around that and he'd already won a charity and left that one so he'd had experience in growing growing these charities in fact I've just recorded a podcast with Tom which you can go and listen to if you're interested in this but um um you know that kind of sense of what what when you when you create something from the beginning and then you leave it there's a lot of research, or I, I, I think some of the research is that often those organisations can't exist without the founder. Um, so I'm really proud that the organisation, and they've just won this um, award from um, the Kluge-Golbenkin Foundation around some of the work they're doing around, around culture of care. And, um, yeah, I think it. we always talked about thinking deeply on things. You know, of course, sometimes there's a sense of urgency and you have to make decisions quickly. But where we could, we took the time to really think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that I think that really helped. And also we did a whole load of research on, you know, we worked with the University of Kent and the psychology department and we did some really deep work on the impact of this stuff. So you can go to the People United website actually and like find if you're interested find um the three research documents that we put together which was essentially saying what is it about arts that can help bring people together it looks at some of the projects that we did and we and then the third one is about our methodology and how it was about collaboration and co-creation and this this pro social way of working which i think is about, is a coaching approach yeah. it's about listening and um challenging through questions and um yeah uh, yeah yeah i was really thinking that when you were describing the um what do you, i can't know how you said it like art done to people versus art created with people as you described mm-hmm. that if people can wind back like four minutes or whatever it was and listen again and imagine that you take out the word 
um, I can't remember what you said, and put in the word coaching, it does sound yeah. like you're describing like one of those distinctions, which is probably like, I don't know, this is my, um, the what the armchair systems theorist in me is like, probably that is, it, it used to work much better in a simpler time to, um, you, you almost could create something for people. Maybe, like, I don't know that for sure. In the in the same way that, you know, uh, to kind of uh, top-down teaching worked better when the world was less, the jobs people were doing was le- are less complex. But when the work people are doing and the environment they're interacting with are so complex, the idea of me trying to tell anybody or me know what the right thing to do in the middle of their life is, is laughable. Um, but they know if you can help them, if you can mm-hmm. create that with them. Um and I really remember that about, so we'll, we'll put a link to those research papers. We'll find that and, and link to it wherever people are listening or at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, and I kind of remember that feeling about People United when I was at Claw and aware, became aware of it through Tom, I think having been a fellow and certainly speaking on those, those, um, those programs sometimes and feeling all those things that you've just said. So it was like, you know, oh, this is something this organization is unusual. I remember kind of, I hadn't thought about this until you were describing it. And then I was like, now I really, it's like a kind of, I can feel the feeling of this is unusual. And it's the kind of um, feel of what you were doing mm-hmm. was, did have that thinking deeply feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess, I think one of the things that I wonder, I don't know what you think about this, because you probably remember it at the time and remember whether you felt like you were doing something really different, but it feels like some of those things, those words you were talking about, belonging, kindness, compassion, connection, the idea of being really truly values led in the way that you do things. Those, I feel like those are more, it might just because of I've moved spaces, of course, I feel like they're more commonly used terms mm-hmm. that more people are working towards now. I don't think it felt like that. Uh, wouldn't have been quite 10 years ago, would it? Would it? Maybe it would have been 10 years ago when I first came across People United and it felt like, I was like, why aren't, I don't know if I ever had the thought, maybe I should try and get a job there, but like, <laughs> why aren't more companies being like this? I remember really thinking that and kind of wishing they were. Did it feel like that at the time that you were doing something that unusual or was, am I just, was I just at the time or now not aware of really other people that were talking in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it did feel unusual because sometimes I found, you know, when people say to you, "What do you do?" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I and it was, you know, there were of course some people who got it immediately, but there were lots of people who were like, huh? <laughs> "Like what?" A bit like sometimes when you say you're a coach to people, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I think when you're in it, it's hard. I I don't. I knew that it was special, I, you know, and I knew that I, I mean, I took a, I took a pay cut to work there because I, I want, I really wanted to work there. Like everything that, that it stood for was what I wanted to stand for, what I did stand for. Um, and I know, yeah. And I think, I think particularly what was different is that we were working with the university um and that gave us depth to what we were talking about so so the research formed informed the practice and the practice informed the research and it was a really brilliant partnership we worked with um dr dominic abrams and um dr julie van der viver and and they were and, and other people and 
it was, you know, so we were looking at impact. We were measuring impact alongside the practice. So that gave us a depth to it. Um, and it did feel different. I think now, thankfully, a lot more of the, these words are being used. There's a massive shift, I think, in arts and culture around how we can do this more with care and with fairness and um, less in a less hierarchical way. You know, there are organisations, for example, um, Arts and Homeless international you know they're that they're doing work where it's a pretty flat structure in the organ in terms of leadership um and there are people with lived experience of homelessness leading those organizations i think that there's a real change as a real shift in um how who is doing the work i mean there's still there's a long way to go still but it feels really hopeful in that people you know we're starting to really think about who who are who are the people telling these stories who are the people that are leading um yeah i so yeah so to answer your question it felt special um, and also it was it was an organization, you know, where we really worked hard to take care of each other and and look at what we each needed. I mean, it was that wasn't easy sometimes, especially when you've got your funding applications to write and all of those things and evaluation and, and that stuff. Um but yeah, we took care of each other. It felt it, yeah, felt very special. And and you moved through various roles in that time. And at some point you Tom yeah. Tom did a coaching certification and you were like, oh, there's a thing happening here. Um I don't know, there might be other things that you want to pick up on from that time, the changes of role you had or or what you were noticing. But but what then brought that time to an end? Yeah, so I think for me it was partly about the people pleasing which i mentioned earlier so maybe sorry as you do this if it works in the story you could like give people that sense of because i think you really connected people pleasing to empathy or or you know like that that thing about belonging maybe you could like give people as you as you do this or separately like the sense of how those are for you two sides of the same coin yeah. and what the connection is yeah I think the part, so that the the healthy part of me, my wise Jedi Sarah, grounded self, is um, has empathy, is um, able to care but disconnect from my own identity. The people pleasing, which I think you're right, it's this, it's the other side of the same coin. Really, is about my unsafe, how I felt unsafe, how I felt like I didn't belong, and if I keep people pleasing and um, being kind to every single person in existence other than myself, then I will feel safe and I will belong. Um, and I think what had, what happened is I had, I mean, I was, you know. I mean, of course it happens in childhood, doesn't it? We we know that. But I I was always that one that was, I was always the helper, the kind, the helper. That was my identity. I am good. I am a good person and I will do everything in my power to prove that identity. 
And I think over this period of time of my my whole career, not not just People United, I talk about it as my kindness tank was depleted. It was empty. I'd like given so much of myself that could often be driven by my need to please, my need to belong. Um, and I remember, I, I mean, I talk about this on my on my podcast and, and with others. I remember sitting in my mum's kitchen one day and my children at the time were, one was in one infant school and another was in the junior school. So two separate schools. I was driving into Canterbury from where I live, dropping various children off, running various projects. And I remember sitting in that kitchen and saying to my mum, I just can't do it. Like I was going for mum to um to uh employee to wife to, you know, I was like daughter, all of these like different things people needed from me. Um, I just said I, I just can't do it, and then I came home and had a com- well had a conversation with my husband, and then, and then I kind of did a, I did a very um, I've still got it somewhere actually. I did like a pros and a cons, like why stay, why stay in an organisation that I loved, and why go. Um, did all of that, and then I was like, oh, I still don't know the answer. <laughs> I still yeah. don't know. I still don't know the answer. And then I asked myself. And I don't know where this came from, but I asked myself, who needs me most in the world right now? And the answer was my family. And the biggest answer was me. Actually, I needed myself most in the world. And once I recognised that, and we did all the logistical, can we afford it, all of that sort of stuff, the decision was made. And I and I left, not really knowing. I left not knowing what I was going to do. I just knew that I had to recuperate, regenerate, restore, rest, faff about for it, be a parent. You know, because I think also what I was recognising, and and maybe some of your listeners will recognise this, is that you give and you give and you give to other people, and then when you get back into your home. You've got nothing left for those people closest to you. So I was becoming really grumpy, really short-tempered. I had I was just spent. Like, and then my my little people were like, they weren't getting the best of me. They were getting the leftovers, which was there weren't many of those, a few scraps on a plate. So so yeah, I just sort of felt like I had to. And I went back to work quite early after having children. I, I found the like baby infant period quite difficult. So I was like, I need work. I need I need work to feel nourished. Um, and I suppose as well, I was noticing that whilst on paper the work looked amazing and I was still working with these amazing artists and still doing this other stuff, there was like a bit of me that was like is this what I want to be doing? It was that question I had when in my early 20s when I was working in in um NFE going, is this is this what I want to keep doing? You know, I'd been there for almost 10 years. Um it felt like time to explore something different. So all of that came together 
that you know recognizing that yeah recognizing that I was depleted recognizing that maybe I was a bit bored recognizing that I wasn't particularly nice to my family recognizing I wasn't I wasn't nice to me (laughs) never nice to me um so yeah all of that came together and then I left employment yeah without knowing what you're going to do next and you kind of mentioned before but that required some help from, you know, people. You kind of talked about that a bit when we were talking about the challenge. And you said, yeah, I think you said you had a few years gardening. So what happened? Like after you left, because it's interesting, like if you've really been in that state, it's a bit like, you know, I get this echo of, you know, when we're working, when you're working really intensely and then you go on holiday and the first bit of the holiday is just like, how do I like reconstitute <laughs> myself as a, a as actual me instead of this kind yeah. of slightly ghostly uh like spectre that I've become, right? It's like, I imagine there might've been, that's obviously me, (laughs) you know, there might've been your version, (laughs) your version of that. Um, Yeah. What, what was it like to stop working after, you know, 10 years there, but also the time before that and have a, I guess, have a break from work. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, we live in this capitalist society, don't we? That tells you, tells us that if we're not doing and we're not producing something then what's the point so I think it can feel really tricky it felt tricky for me to be like I need I need I need to do something to feel useful and um and and I think you know the garden I got an allotment um when I was going through the IVF uh we had we had one round that didn't work and it was devastating and I really one of the things that uh helped me to heal through that was growing in my garden because I felt like and it, you know that it, it it felt you know saying it feels a bit simplistic but it felt, I was kind of saying to myself look you can't grow a baby but you can grow a tomato <laughs> and there was something in that there was something in in that ritual and looking after and nourishing and then having the fruit um the fruits of your labor as it were um and so when I then left the organization feeling quite depleted and what knowing that I needed to I mean I didn't think in this way I wasn't like oh I need to heal now I need to restore myself it was just a kind of instinct I think I went got into the gardening the planting because I think again it's like you're doing something you're using your hands you're thinking in a slightly different way um and you're you see the there's an outcome there's something that you're although actually I'm not a great gardener so there was also <laughs> there was also a lot, a lot of not no outcomes but you know you learn so much I mean I think it's a bit cliche but you learn so much from growing things and and how to look after stuff and take care of it and um yeah so so yeah and also at that time I I mean I couldn't I didn't feel like I could do nothing um I came... let's let's catch that so, so you said like part of it for you is is like what it's like to live in capitalism but you also had this thing you know you've mentioned it that's the third time I think you've hinted at this like oh, I needed to do something you know it's like yeah. you know like I, I, the little baby phase you know actually like after a while of that I need I wanted to be doing something again and so it's like how did you find that kind of 
that that little impulse sound, sounds like it might be wrong, but it is part. I mean, you know, we all live in the society we live in, and you you get stories from that about what a meaningful life is, what a worthwhile life is, and all that kind of thing. And sometimes those stories are great, and sometimes they are hard to live with. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like there's just something in you that that I don't know if this is right that being active is important yes I think it is but I I do really believe that part of that is around feeling useful in the world like I really there's a brilliant book um by again it's called rest is resistance I'm sure I'll think of the name yeah we can find a link um, and and I would really recommend it because I think it talks about this idea of um, how we are so, it's so inbuilt with us to keep doing stuff, to be useful, to keep producing and not allowing ourselves the time to rest and the time to imagine. Like she talks about daydreaming and, um, uh, you know, I mean, she's talking about it from this sense of um, being a, a woman of colour and slavery and, you know, people giving birth in fields because they just had to, like, keep working. They weren't allowed to rest. So I do think that part of it comes from what we're taught. Like, you've just got to keep doing stuff because if you're just sitting on the sofa, sleeping, resting, who are you? Lazy. You know, it's like those kind of voices, lazy bones, yeah. all of that stuff. So I do think that's a big part of it. And I think I'm also, um, I like, I, I also like doing stuff. Like I like growing and I, I became chair of a small um, dance performance company. I became chair of my, my son's school PTA, um, which is a, in that's a learning that is a learning um and yeah I kind of and then I did my coaching accreditation because I like learning yeah is that why so why did you do it what the coaching accreditation yeah. Yeah. um what, what brought you to it well I suppose there was a curiosity um it also meant I could go to Lancaster for a few days yeah, I like the idea. I, so I grew up really near Lancaster. So it's like uh, at the yeah. time it was just this, you know it didn't obviously when you well not obviously when you when I when I grew up in the countryside near Lancaster I um, didn't appreciate it and now when I go there I love going there. and and like this is because oh, you trained with RD first is that right yeah 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 so people and maybe you can say a bit about RD first I don't think we've had I've tried to get a few people from RD first to come on the show and failed. Um, and so, um, for various reasons, um, and so maybe even as this, I'm trying to think if we have, I can't remember, I'd have to get up the list of guests and look down it. I don't think we have for no reason except that chance, I think. Tell people who don't know, say something about it. Obviously, it's in Lancaster, which is, or, or it, it was pre pandemic. I don't know if they do. Yeah, no, now. they're doing much more online now, I think. Um, I mean, it's worth checking out their website. So, um, yeah, I was trained by Debs and someone called Claire Antrobus. Um, And it's, uh, 
it's a coaching accreditation for people well you don't have to do the accreditation that's like an extra bit if you want to do that but it's essentially it's for people who are in the arts and cultural sector really um who want to maybe bring a more coaching approach into their work or who want to become coaches um and so there was a safety in that I knew a lot of people had done that course I mean I'm sure people listening will know how many different types of coaching training there is out there and I like all of that logistical stuff like who do you train with who should you be a member what membership organization should you all of that stuff like is so overwhelming I think so I, I think what really appealed to me was that I knew that people had done that that particular program and they really enjoyed it and um had got a lot out of it um and it worked in terms of timing and as I say I got to go to lovely Lancaster for three lots I think three lots of um three trips and again you know connection meeting other people in in that in in that world um yeah that sort of where my more formal coaching started yeah and uh roughly when was this so that was i can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019 no i think 2019 yeah yeah and people should check it out like um deb deb barnard used to run coaching training sessions on um the, the claudia ship program when i worked there and she's an absolute master um, and I know I've done some trade pipe. Claire's trade trained me once in action learning, and I know her, and I know Isabel, who did a lot of work there for a long time. Wow. Um, Isabel, yeah. yeah, what a legend she is! And um, so there, there are amazing people running that training. And it's like, as a little aside, at least it used to be, I haven't looked for a while, it's, it's really affordable compared to a lot of the other it trainings that are out there. So I, I know that a lot of the trainings, for example, I think Barefoot have just done a thing where they'll offer interest-free finance to try and make their training more accessible i know other other training providers have their ways of of doing their best to open up coaching in different ways but it's worth checking out if people are listening and they want they haven't yet done a coaching certification and they want one that'll give them that way in um i don't know about the i don't know how much the cultural sector thing is because it's just because if deb's been running um training interest to coaching on claw um for you know 10 years that's a really great way to get everybody from the cultural sector who finds that exciting i wish they yeah. did to do a training yeah. amazing business move i'm sure that's yeah. not why they do it but it's definitely a part of growing that business um and, yeah and like you could probably talk your way in if if you really want to do that and so well um, can i do a plug for because yes. i'm actually becoming a tutor and a supervisor for um some coaching training not not oh, deb's um but if we could I can give you the link but um yeah for my my friend and colleague Catherine Powell she's now running some EMCC accredited training coaching and she's amazing and I'm a tutor and supervisor (laughs) but it's less important to know and so what's hmm, okay let's yeah let's uh Let's slow down first with let's do let's do RD first first. Let's finish that and then let's come to this because I think it's really interesting. So when you look back on that coach training, you say that's where you got your formal coach training. Obviously, yeah. you've been you've learned about it from Tom. You'd been doing it in different ways your whole life. The approach of People United was that. I'm sure the teaching you were doing way back to to the, the performing mm-hmm. arts in FE was um had elements of this there because of that sense of belonging and witnessing people and seeing them but what did you take from the formal training how did that change how you thought about it or or 
Yeah. Well, I think initially I thought, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what do you mean you can't give advice? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> um, um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I took away the, you know, the beginnings of that skill development and, and, and of understanding the wider context of coaching. I think since then I have learned or what I have embraced is that there's no one way to coach and that actually what you're doing is you're bringing all of your skills and experience into these spaces. You know, I think when you first do your training, it can feel, um, it can, you know, cause you're learning different models, aren't you? So you, it sort of can feel a bit, um, uh, what's the word? That kind of clean coaching, you know, it's like, oh, I can't say, like, I have to hold myself, all of myself back um, from this conversation. And I think, yeah, I've sort of now, especially after that 100-day thing, and also, you know, I've been doing this for a few years now, kind of got to the point where I have my own particular approach and... um and I bring all of those things. I'm like a magpie bringing in lots of different different versions and learning new things all the time. So I think, yeah, I took away that. It's that foundation, isn't it? That grounding of the, the bigger picture stuff, like where what is coaching? How did it develop? Who uses it? I mean, one of the biggest, my biggest, <laughs> one of my biggest takeaways was that phrase, beware the guru. Um, and I still kind of, hold that quite close um yeah does that answer your question yeah it does it's reminded me that that you know and I haven't done the training so I have to be a little careful but yeah it reminded me that that I I kind of watching Deb do incredibly clean coaching was like it's kind of amazing so like what I'd forgotten that that at least it was when I knew a bit more about their training that was a part of that um and a part of the way of, of approaching it and um two things that made me think of one is it's kind of like um it is amazing to watch like i remember her doing a demo where she would just one of those demos where she would just like reflect back the last thing that somebody said and i remember the whole room like kind of laughing not at it just because it was so strange and the woman who was being coached in that way having no idea what was happening because because the presence and the that connection of doing that kind of really clean work can just be so powerful for letting people Mm do their do their thinking and and see new things i also it made me remember that like one of the interesting things i think about coaching training i think it's quite important that it stretches us um in that quite oh this is quite hard way to do the unusual things about coaching in their extreme Mm. (laughs) before so that we can then know what that's like so that when we come back to calibrate somewhere people on the video can see me doing this with my hands somewhere like east of that or whatever it is closer to where we normally are we're doing it really knowing what it's like to yeah. be full clean in this case full clean coaching or you know icf rules or emcc yeah. rules or whatever and then if you're going to break a bit like i mentioned before you know know the rules there are no rules to actually what you do but it's good to know the rules so that when you're breaking them you're breaking them in the spirit of the rules not yeah. because you don't really understand why the rules are there in the first place and once you've really practiced super clean grow based coaching and then you've um you know then you know when that's really useful and you start yeah. to get a sense of oh i wonder if i experiment with this bit could i make this coaching even more useful 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Where did you do your training? I did my training with a... So I. it was interesting because I was working at Claw at the time. And so I was surrounded by RD first training. And for a few reasons, I didn't want to do that. Like One was I'd kind of been on a bunch of Debs' half-day and full-day things, observing them, like not a bunch, two or three, and had helped a bit on some of those. And another, or no, maybe that was later. And another was I was interested in actually... Uh, I was kind of ready to be a little outside the cultural sector by that point. Yeah. So I actually didn't, I wanted, I didn't really want to, to like double down on my cultural sector network. Mm. So I, I in the end ended up training with a, a kind of startup training that has, that is mostly resting now. They don't, they don't run public facing training anymore called the coaching school, but it, it was great. Um, and what they did a bit more, I think, than from the sounds of it, are you first do is they did, invite us into that thing that you're saying that you're really in now a little earlier i think mm-hmm. they were which is not you know neither is right or wrong but it was it did allow me i think i felt much i felt permission i remember doing some of those like joining in as a partner on a, a, a full day coaching thing that deb was doing on a, deb was doing on a short course and finding it really hard to be in that place and like i said i think there's lots of good things about that but yeah I think it now allowed me to play with that a little sooner um yeah. find that find that balance yeah but it's a it's interesting so and then so because because one of the things you get i get asked quite a lot i mean not it's a huge amount but reasonably regularly thinking of doing some coaching training where should i train and i have a kind of fairly set response which is almost all training providers will run a run some kind of taster thing do a bunch of those and see which one feels good and here are a few to look up that's my general response but it's interesting that you're going to be that that your colleague is is going to is starting a new one so what and it's exciting that you're going to be able to be working on that what are you looking forward to about mm. that and um yeah what is there a is there a particular place that you think that training is going to sit in the i mean what in the marketplace of coaching trainings or in the coaching ecosystem yeah i think we need I mean, I said earlier, didn't I? Oh, there's, it feels a bit overwhelming because there's so many training providers, but actually the reality is maybe there aren't enough and, and there are kind of some really big ones and maybe there needs to be more more choice. Um, what am I looking for? I really love hanging out with coaches. I just do. I think they're really brilliant human beings. Um, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, just sharing that, sharing the joy and the um the power of it like if if more people in the world not necessarily became coaches but knew about or or had a more coaching approach gosh wouldn't the world be a much better place (laughs) i just really believe that um, so I think, you know, I'm really excited about being part of someone's journey. And like, I mean, I haven't done, I haven't been a tutor for a long time, but I love that was one of my favorite roles when I was working in education. Yeah. Um and j- yeah, kind of just helping people to maybe feel more confident about what they're doing, you know, helping them to work through some of the challenges they're facing. Like, yeah, that all feels, I mean, Catherine delivers the actual training um, at the moment. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. 
And I think there's one space left on that training <laughs> coming yep. in September. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting. But, and then let's just, we might come back to that. I don't know, but let's just rewind a little bit. So you did the training and then you kind of hinted at this right at the start of the conversation that then something at some point just before March, 2020, um, said to you actually there's a thing i'm going to do which is something to do with coaching and starting a business in this way so how did that bit emerge for you so i had um as well as doing the coaching i then what became uh, i did one of the claw leadership courses mm. the pulse pulse course and and through that i got braver like connecting with these amazing people and um and um had Isabel Mortimer coaching me for a bit and that's amazing um and yeah kind of I mean I'd sort of when when you when you apply for claw leadership you have to talk about what it is you want to achieve like what's the thing that you want to bring to the um the cultural leadership landscape you know what do you want to add what do you want to contribute to and I'd sort of had these ideas about coaching and young people although interestingly I haven't ended up doing that at all um but that was sort of the beginning and then as I was um working through that I thought actually no I can do this um I'd always said when I was working in employment I always looked at freelancers, self-employed, being like, wow, they're so brave. How do they do that? I could never do that. I need to be in a job. I need this security. I need this and that. And I think part of me was also thinking, well, you know, you've come this far to let go of that. And and you're looking for something different. Like, actually, running your own business or being freelance, why don't you try that? You know, get get a bit out of your comfort zone and, and do that for a while. And then, of course, it was even more out of my comfort zone because there was a global pandemic. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's sort of how I came about that, to that decision. Mm. And sitting here now, I guess, like three and a bit years later as we're recording this, um, what do you like what's your reflections on that leap on on stepping into i'm gonna do this thing i am really grateful to my past self for being yeah. brave and having that courage i really i mean i've always i think i am brave i i, I think there are parts of me that are very brave and i've I always, I've always talked about, I, I quite like being a little bit scared. I think I've been in that position quite often in my life and then always seen a positive coming out of it. Like just, you know, not like scared as in my safety is at risk, but that's that kind of um, my physical safety, should I say, but that just like the not knowing, you know, there's like, oh, could happen it could all go wrong all the or way back to the to the times on stage all... right as as the angel gabriel it's like and this might work it might not work anything could happen oh exactly i know and um and actually recognizing that even if things don't work so i did a solo in that in that play and um 
was very out of tune. It just all went incredibly wrong in one of the performances, but it was fine. I was safe. Like I was still alive by the end of it, you know, and, um, and, you know, there's been lots of times in my life, like the IVF, for example, it, uh, it was a hideous experience and I survived. And, you know, and and that took a lot of courage. I mean, all, all the things took a lot of courage in that. So, um, yeah, so I'm definitely grateful that I have that resourcefulness in me. Um, and it was so, it was, well, currently right now here and now i feel like it was absolutely the right decision to make yeah. if there's anyone who's hovering in that moment now i mean or you could play it as if you could go back and just you know like say something to yourself what's the like what's the thing you know now that knowing it for sh- like knowing it speech marks for sure in that time would have would have made a real difference um probably just that it's safe it's safe yeah yeah it's yeah, safe I, to do it I, I call myself with a client we were talking about kind of this kind of leap and we, we caught ourselves kind of saying you know realizing just how especially at difficult economic times like how some of the employment thing <laughs> You know, especially people working in big tech recently, it's like two years ago, you'd have thought incredibly safe place, growing forever, um, yeah. secure job, thousands and thousands of job cuts across that industry right now you know, in the last year. It's like mm-hmm. there's some way in which that that safety that we have in a speech marks job is is somewhat illusionary. And the sense that there is no safety in the self-employed is also somewhat illusionary. And there's some truth in both those things, mm-hmm. of course. Um, hmm. but yeah, yeah you will be safe yeah yeah beautiful and, and so yeah Sarah like bring it up to date a little bit with like what's like what's going on in your in your business now so it's like three years in uh mm-hmm. we know that you put yourself partly because of probably Jonathan something on W Bex and we can we can try and work out who that was um if you if we were that I've got it in my notebook show, show notes um and but something to do with him and your own creativity meant you did this crazy thing over the summer of 2020 um and a really like um what would i say like honorable thing because it was also what can i do in service mm. here and mm. what a beautiful thing to offer and now you're here so and i know some bits of this because i've seen it through via the internet and the magic and we've spoken before but yeah what's your business how does your business look now what's the kind of practical makeup of it how does it feel oh how do you think well it's you you're kind of catching me in a bit of a transitionary phase because i'm i'm i've i very quickly realized that i wanted to have a bit more of a business mindset around around freelancing and trying and growing and um i realized that i you know there's that there's that stat i don't know how true it is but you know how many coaching practices actually survive it's quite um low i think and uh so I knew that I needed to be financially sustainable um, and, and um, yeah, so that's sort of what I've been working on, what I've been working on over the last few years as well as coaching. Uh, I, I, I'm, I love running a business. And um, 
I so now I'm moving for more of a solo coaching uh Sarah Fox coaching into trying to create a company an organization that is a bit more collaborative with other consultants and coaches but that is really trying to help individuals and organizations to do good and do well so where they flourish both in terms of their well-being in terms of their leadership in terms of their the meaning you know having a real purpose beyond the core mission of the organization perhaps like how you know how can you contribute to the greater good with your skills and your expertise and your wealth um so I'm sort of in this phase at the moment where I'm still doing a lot of the work so I also work a lot with freelancers who um want to make a positive impact in the world but want to have a financially sustainable business like and that's sort of me sharing some of the things that I've learned over the last three years three years um uh, so I run that program and still want to keep running that because I think that's really important because we've got these amazing, amazing, amazing people who are seeing injustice and have a way of making that a bit better, um, but they don't always have the confidence, the capacity to really make that impact. Um, and and what's that program called, Sarah, just so that if people want to look Oh, that's lasting, lasting Impact. Yeah, that's on my website. Um, so I work with coaches, I work with um, people in the museum sector, they're mostly arts and culture, really, um, artists, that kind of that kind, that kind of person. Um, but yeah, you know, they're often overgiving and then often undercharging. And yeah, so we do a lot of we do a lot of the thinking around what is the difference I want to make, but also a lot of that nitty gritty logistical like okay, how much do I want to charge? How much does my business need to make? How much do I need to put into my bank account so that I can pay my bills and maybe live a life that feels nice as well? Um, So I'm doing that and then sort of shifting into this, working with people who might already have that financial sustainability who already um, feel like they've got the mindset to get stuff done but there's a bit of there's a kind of internal conflict around. Oh, I feel like we could be doing more. I feel like there's something more that we could be doing to be helping the world. And so, yeah, I'm thinking about what that looks like and what the offer is that we can help them with there. Yeah, an exciting time. I imagine some, you know, it's changed. There's probably a mixture of feelings about that. Like, yeah. And uh, but uh, but let's like I just want to slow down on the because we had a funny exchange on LinkedIn about three months ago uh, as yeah. we recorded this and it was so it was in March this year because we looked it up we couldn't quite find the exact thing but um, you know talking about the nitty gritty of these business these people's like businesses it's like okay it's like what's mm-hmm. the difference I want to make but also how am I going to actually do that like what are the things I need to do to to actually be able to do that it sounds like is what it sounds like to me and we had this great exchange because yeah. I'd just written like an article about money stories and we could try and find a link to that and that i'll be able to do that and then um uh like about two days later as i remember it you wrote a thing saying uh, saying like (laughs) i once got this advice from this coach who said like charge loads of money and um and my article was like um it was basically an invitation for people who work for themselves 
and need to charge money for that to think really carefully about the stories they have about money because I've seen so yeah. many times people get wrapped up in really weird stuff about money that has nothing to do with money. Um, yeah. And it's really affecting how they price their services and how yeah. they live, exactly, how they live their life. And uh, yeah, exactly. Like only everyone has some stories about money. So it's worth thinking about yours. Essentially was the point of the article, I thought. And then you yeah. wrote this thing being like, I was got this <laughs> advice with this coach to just charge loads and loads of money and it was terrible and i've started a special group program i think just to sort of make sure that no one has to do that um and i was like first i was like oh my god what if sarah's talking about me and then and i had all that all that stuff that i get from my like i don't belong i'll get found out like i had a whole flash of like i'm not safe childhood stuff and then when i slowed down and got into the like the the what did you call it before the like the healthy wise jedi me yeah. i was like wow it would be cool if sarah and i really dis i'd be real i was re- i'd be really surprised and it'd be so cool if sarah and i really disagreed about something about money because wouldn't that be a fascinating conversation to be able to have and sadly mm. i don't think we do um but <laughs> what was that <laughs> from from all that um i guess from that that stuff that you've done with freelancers who often it sounds like the ones you work with really care about injustice they might see in the world care about making a difference with their work and are wrestling with the nitty-gritty of business um or money maybe Mm. like and maybe it was around then you did the you had like you had a program called like marketing without the ick or a workshop called that yeah that was right yeah yeah like well remembered slash researched um uh, and um uh and so like what have you learned about that or when you're when you're stepping out of your coaching self with those kinds of people and doing more of the mentoring or the teaching yeah what are you advising or teaching to in it, for people in those kinds of situations so so with that I think I working I get really frustrated by this narrative sometimes particularly in the online coaching world which is Sort out your money beliefs and then you, you can charge whatever you want and you can become a millionaire in six days. I mean, I mean, I'm being a bit silly, but, you know, there is that kind of narrative around and this idea of like money mindset. You've got to work on your money mindset. Pay me a billion pounds so you can work on your money mindset and then you can earn a trillion pounds. Again, being a bit facetious, but um, uh, that really frustrates me. And... And I know that what happens is that people have such complicated or complex relationships with money, societal reasons, individual reasons, all of that, that it is really important to do that work as well. But that doesn't mean that it has to become exploitative. And I think that's the, that, the thing I was talking about in that LinkedIn post that re- had really kind of got my goat, that's a weird phrase, um, was some of those practices feel very exploitative, extractive, let's get as much money out of people as possible so that I can then go on and make my six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure business. And then it's a bit performative sometimes in that because if we have money, then we can use some of that money to have impact. And, you know, I can give this money to charity. And 
and I'd had a particular experience with a with a coach who had taught it's part of her teaching that you kind of just pick a number out of thin air of how much you want to charge just like I don't know, high ticket, 10 grand for coaching, for example. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think the approach of like just going, oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm going to charge. And then we were taught to, on the call, on the sales call, to really get them to say yes on the call and if they needed to get their credit card out and pay for that on the call. Like you weren't allowed to leave the call until they'd either paid or it was a definite no. And even then there were like some practices of how you like keep having that conversation. And there were things like if they say they, if they object and they want to um, have a conversation with their partner, then you really have to put them off doing that because it's got to be an empowered no, that will start the coaching off brilliantly that they'll feel empowered to be able to say yes and that they've made this decision and they've invested all of this money and that will help the coaching be better because they've spent this amount of money on it um that this isn't answering your question but that, that, that this is sort of where it comes from I guess is like seeing some of that practice and then also being a bit more grounded about it and saying look what we need to understand is if we want to make this impact in the world, we have to have sustainable businesses. And to have sustainable businesses, we have to have money coming into our organisations and we have to be able to work sustainably. So if you're only charging 100 quid a day, actually the reality is you cannot have a financially sustainable business where you are not depleted and exhausted and in burnout because you're not making enough money. And because, and you might only be charging £100 a day because you feel that you're going to be exploiting someone if you charge something else. It's going to say something about you as a person, your identity. Um, you know, you, you've always been generous. So especially I think with coaching, it, like for me, initially it felt like a really weird exchange. Like I'm rocking up and I'm like, I'm helping someone. And then there's like, this exchange of money it feels like it can feel really icky because also you don't want to be like the um trumps of the world or you don't you know and because you're like so fearful of that you lean back you, you go so far away that you you're not making anything and you're or you're not you know that that marketing without the ick workshop is essentially saying you're so fearful about being like those types of people that you're not showing up at all but actually there is a way that we can show up and we can serve and we can share that's what we're doing we're sharing what we're doing and we're putting it out there and we're saying this is what I've got is this going to be helpful to you let's have a conversation about it um yeah I mean there's all there's so many things I know I'm sort of jumping from one thing to another but what I'm trying to do is to help people unpick some of that some of that thinking around money and to see how it is impacting on their business. And often the people I work with, they're not driven by money. Like they're not, they're driven by helping, they're driven by community, they're driven by bigger than self-thinking. And we live in a world where you need to pay your bills. So it's about kind of saying just because you're charging like a a good amount of money, that doesn't make you a bad person. 
actually it makes you a person who's running a business that needs to be sustainable because you want to have an impact. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. All the things. Yeah, and more, Sarah. Like we could do you know, we could probably do two hours on this. Um hmm. so let's ground it. How do you, if you don't mind talking about this and you don't have to, of course, how do you mm. think about how do you price your work and how do you think about that? And if it's not just making up a number, like where do your numbers come from and what are they? And how does that work to make your business sustainable? Yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean I I I have done some work. I think you have to work constantly on this sort of money, what's happening for money for you when you run your own business. I don't think it ever ends really. But um so the way that so practically I have a goal of how much I would like to earn in my business. Um and I am not near that goal. So so th- the last financial year was the first year that I actually made more than I did working as an employee. But bear in mind, <laughs> I worked in the arts and cultural charity sector. And we're not talking yeah, I, about I a massive amount. That's been true for me. And is with that same with that same caveat. So wait, so this was your yeah. and this was probably last tax year was probably your third third so, year of tax year that you'd operated yeah. or something like that. But, yeah. yeah. And I got and I was so super excited because A, I got an accountant, finally. And B, I actually, you know, I will be paying tax ne- um next year. Yeah. When we do the tax return. I'll get my yeah. dates wrong. Yeah. But yeah, so so it's the first time I will pay tax. And I'm like, yes, it's happening. Yeah. Um uh, uh so um so I have a goal. My goal is um, I, I want to be financially independent. So I've had, I mean, it could be a privilege, could be seen as a privilege. My husband's always like earned pretty good money. It's allowed me. I mean, I think the art sector is basically built on people who have a another half generally who <laughs> I can afford oh, for them so to work in the art sector. Very funny. Yeah. Um, and and so. Um, part of my goal is about I want to earn as much and more than he does so that if anything happens I'm not screwed (laughs) but also because yeah I just want to be someone who earns money who earns good money I mean um anyway so I look at that and then I make sure I understand all of my numbers like I know how much my business costs me to run I I do invest quite a lot into like I have a VA who works or uh, actually she's now an OBM online business manager who helps me more with the strategy, all the software, the podcast costs money as you know you know all I know all of that know my numbers, I know how much I need to be bringing into the household income so that we can get our pe- bills paid, and then I look at my services and try and sort of figure out that pricing from there and I think I I mean I still think there's like I've got to I, I, I there's still some work for me to do on kind of putting my prices up um but also I do you know I also look at what's happening and I'm no I so for example my lasting impact group I put the fee up 
um, I think it was back in March, and I didn't have anybody join and anybody join. Um, and so I've kind of put it back down to what it was again when people were like, okay, yeah, that's a bit more manageable for me. But you know, this is partly why I'm moving into this transitionary, like the company, because actually I've uh, what I also know is that I often work with people who aren't doing very well financially. So A, they don't have the money to invest sometimes. And B, they're not used to investing in coaching. They don't like have that mindset of going, actually, this is what I need. So for me, that sort of moving into a place is about impact. I think I can have more impact, but it's also actually I want to be able to kind of have those conversations with people that are like, yeah, I've got the money. <laughs> of course I have, you know. Um, is that Does that answer your question? So, yeah, it's about knowing your numbers and then it's about looking, also looking at how much time you have. So I don't want to be working 80 hours a week. Um, I take all of August off. I take all of the other school holidays off. So I have to take that into account as well. And then I just sort of try and do it that way figure it out that way yeah yeah Yeah. I guess what I hear is that like you know you called it the nitty-gritty in the the work you do in the lasting impact program with people it it sounds like that like it's like it's not like uh fun like glamorous work right to work (laughs) out how much the bills are for the company and the home and and then think about time in a really practical way but it sounds like for you I think it's basically been true for me as well. Although I don't think about it in that much detail these days. I do a bit more of I feel. But I remember a really important, I remember doing, a, I probably talked about this on the show before, I remember doing an exercise as part of my coaching training, looking at where I wanted to get to. Uh, or, yeah, with the, with the I did it, yeah, it was part of the coaching training. And working back from there, and this was imagining, this was like early on imagining and it kind of, yeah, imagine it would be running alongside some other work, which I was doing at the time. And yeah. it was really powerful to have the numbers worked out. My experience of my personal finances in, in work and personal life, my finances for me is doing the sums never makes me feel worse. Like I, my fears about money are always worse than the reality, even when the reality is bad. Because at least I, because part of the fear is, underneath that I'm not really conscious of is what if it's much worse than I think it is and then when you know it's like well it's no I know how bad it is or good and therefore I don't need to worry so I think doing that some is really important I also hear that kind of challenge uh that it sounds like you've got a it sounds like you've seen a slight challenge with um this this group of people that you love working with and making it all add up yeah (laughs) which is that it doesn't is what it sounds like is this right it just doesn't really like you know with those the constraints being what they what people in in certain financial situations or it really made me think of you looking after yourself as well though right because part of coaching or any other thing like this is looking after ourselves and we're just not used to investing significant money to look after ourselves really like especially when we don't have much money right it's like the last thing we do because partly out of necessity and partly because we don't have a pattern of doing that. Um, it can be considered selfish. You know, it's interesting the number of people that I, that come to me um, and, you know, even that 
you know, not even having a separate bank account, for example, for your business, everything goes straight into your personal bank account. So the idea then that you would pay for some coaching for your business out of your personal bank account. Yeah. Is so screwy. It's like, I can't, you know, because then it feels like you're taking away from your family. And one of the things is about trying to like go, how can we get into this? How can we separate you as a person, you know, you're priceless, all of those things, to this is your business, like the coaching is your business. So what do you need to do there? What does the business need to invest in in order? You know, so I recognised quite early on that I, like, like I'll do social media, but, like, it takes up a lot of time. I don't feel, you know, writing isn't, I don't really enjoy that as much, although I do love my newsletter. But um, so I recognise that by investing in someone who can take some of that stuff from away from me so that I can focus on other stuff, actually that's brought in more money for my business. It's it's not it's a it's a it's not really a risk because it's been really helpful. And also just to have someone else to talk to, you know, much yeah. as as much as anything. But yeah, that kind of just separating self from business I think getting into that mode of talking about the business rather than I can't invest actually what can the you know and and I think that can be a bit of a struggle if you're if you've always seen yourself as just a freelancer Mm. um and so it is it's like it's it's getting into it is that nitty-gritty knowing your numbers but it's also really knowing yourself and separating yourself from the work that you do. Yeah. And look, as a, on a really practical level, I got this advice from somebody else. It's not my, I mean, the numbers now are mine, but the, the, the idea wasn't um, the best. It like the, the thing that's made the most difference to my personal, uh, what having my personal, my business and personal finances in order was, is basically, um, let me just, say this people are listening i've got an article somewhere which says it but it's easy to just say it is that when i get so i was to split off by accounts first of all um then it takes a while to get everybody to stop if you've got people paying you on a regular basis stop paying into the right account <laughs> but yeah. in the end what what i now do every time i get paid probably there's a software that could do this for me but i do it manually because I, I quite like doing it manually because it like i feel the hit of I am in control of this every time mm-hmm. I do it. Mm-hmm. Money comes in, um, it gets split uh, four ways. Yeah. It gets split. Some to my current account. So this is like, um, somebody told me later on that there's a there's a whole movement called Pay Yourself First, which I've never heard of, which I'm doing, which is like, um, you know, uh, or Profit First. But it's profit, profit, first. profit First. Yeah, yeah. I use it. I use that yeah, method. So it's the same. The same yeah. Essentially, it's, it's what I'm going to describe. But yeah. like, so some money, and I mine is usually 50% yeah. goes into my current account that I operate my life out of. Um, I use the number 25% to go into a tax account. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. I remember somebody once saying that 25%, it needs to be more. And that's I've never found it needs to be more. Even, I will see this year, so this is the first year I've tipped into a higher tax bracket. Mm-hmm. And all the financial year just gone, probably. I'll need to double check it. I haven't done my accounts yet. It'll still add up then because of the expenses in the business and the tax-free allowance. So, and and I think I've been like when we when we moved into this house, we bought a new house. I took some money out of my tax account, partly for as a cash flow move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you want to have for deposits and 
solicitor's fees and that kind of thing. And I don't think I need it because I actually think 25% is also, uh, what do you call it, like covert savings. <laughs> yeah. But I then have 5%, which I always thought would go to 10, but I don't seem to be doing that, into a, a rainy day account. You could tell it was it was created while Game of Thrones is on because it's called Winter is Coming. Um, <laughs> and then that means uh, if you add that up, that 20% stays in my business account. And yeah. I sometimes flex that in different ways, just for listeners, yeah. because it might be like, if I know I'm going to spend a bit more money on my business, I might, and my current account is doing okay, I might leave a little bit more in the business and that kind of thing. But it then means that when I'm deciding whether to spend £100 on a workshop, I can look at my business account and go, is this a sensible investment? Yeah. And it always yeah. is, right? Like yeah. investments of that scale in my presence and insight and knowledge and learning, they're like, and especially when they're a workshop, because you might meet people, which might be, uh, you know, is the beginnings yeah. of business development. It yeah. always makes sense. And yeah. when you've got those bigger things, you get a, a, a bigger question. And then I had this great insight. Have I talked about this in the show before? I don't know that the percentage thing makes is like a huge difference. Like, because it like psychologically, it just really works because when you've been paid a tiny amount of money, if I'd have, if I'd have, I've had someone pay me a relatively small amount of money, 150 yeah. pounds, yeah. then 5% of that is such a small amount of money that it doesn't matter that I'm sticking away in, in my rainy day account. And when I get paid 1500 pounds, I've just got 1500 pounds. doesn't matter if I put 5% away in the account. So it's like, it, it slows down what's in your current account. So at first yeah. you feel nervous because you're used to having all that money in one place but that was always an illusion <laughs> because yeah, you're going to yeah, be yeah. You, you know you're having that nice feeling of having all your money in your current account now but you're going to panic like hell when you have to pay tax um and you're going to feel really yeah. uncomfortable when you're going to invest in in a group program with sarah fox because you're yeah. like I have to, this is this is money for sarah fox or for my cornflakes for my kids yes. like what is the right moral decision there yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so, yeah so i i wanted to say that because i think that getting into the practical of these yeah things is really important um, I would, you might, yeah you might want to say something about that um I would really recommend that so so I I feel quite smug because I I someone told me about the profit first really early on so from very early on I was putting 25% aside and then the, like for two years I wasn't using it so it's still in my it's still in my business account um or it's a set I, I've got another account um, where I put the tax stuff to kind of yeah keep it out of the way I suppose but I do you know again that cash flow thing sometimes you need to move things around but knowing your numbers may, helps you to make that wiser healthier decision rather than that sort of panic oh god I haven't got any money coming in at the end of the month or and you know and like people do take some sometimes they take longer to pay and all, all of those things um but I do a very similar thing i but with the, I don't have a rainy day account. I have a profit, so I put five percent into a profit, and um, every quarter I take half of that and I buy myself something really nice. Nice, nice. <laughs> or I put it like I I went on a retreat recently, which was amazing, and I used some of it to sort of pay, to pay for that. It that was felt very a special thing for me. Um, yeah, and... just to catch it, I like that rainy day account. You, you do what you will, obviously, with this, but like. My feeling is like that is quite an important move as somebody who runs their own business. Yeah. A bit for the same reason that like you and Tom had to do so much research on People United for when you left. Because if you get ill or like uh, some of this came from uh, one of my former coaches who said that 
Rich said that when his dad died, he basically didn't create any new business for like a year because it had yeah. such a big impact on him. Yeah. And he needed that that money. And one of the things he said is, which is so true, you know, if your business gets more successful, the percentage is important because it's really easy. And most of us have had times in our life where we've had more money and times when we've had less. And you don't necessarily save, right? In the times when you have more, yeah. because you 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 buy one more coffee or sandwich out a month, or you go to the cinema one more time, or you're just a bit freer with not splitting a bill here and there, and suddenly that extra money you have is gone. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think for me that's a really important one, and sometimes I bring money out of it, and um, you know, when I need to or want to, and like again when we. When we moved house, it was like, okay, do how much of this do I need for the next year mm. versus how valuable is it to have mm. yeah. some deposit savings there? And it's it's fine, like, but I think again, it's like coaching, isn't it? If you know the stuff, then you can decide what's useful to you and how yeah. you want to do it. And I think so. So one of the, you know, talking practically, one of the things that I do is I don't move it. I don't move fifty percent straight into my current account. I keep it in a separate. Um, space. I use Starling, which I think is great because also Starling have just bought out um, this ability to automatically do the percentage thing, nice. which is brilliant. I'm still not I'd sure. Say- I, I'm still not sure I'd do it. Like it's too. It's just like a really. It's like a real out breath for me about my business. It's like, whew. yeah. I mean, it's you part have to of my write celebration in, of the money coming yeah. in, you know, all that kind of thing. You have to write in every time with your. It's not an automatic uh, no. thing, so you're still. I agree. I think there is something about every invoice because again, it's like then you get to know your numbers and you get to know what what money is coming in. But what I what I tend to do now is within that um, in the profit first system, it's called owners compensation. That's like the name of the space. But what I do now is I I I pay myself a certain amount of money every month, mm. so there might be some left in that owner's compensation. And my aim is to have six months worth of salary, income, revenue, whatever, as a backup. Uh, so that's where your rainy day account is. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's nice. And so every month I take out of my owner's compensation and put that into my personal account. Yeah, and that also helps with budgeting. I imagine in your personal yeah. finances. Yeah. But um, again, it like takes a while to like figure this stuff out and like work out what works for you. It, it does. And so what I would say to people who are, but I'm always really aware of my tendency to think when I've worked this out properly, then I'll do something about this. So that's the wrong decision. The right decision. And this is one of those times when I just have a very strong belief. The right decision is to choose one of the things that either I or Seth, if you're not doing anything about your money, Yes. In your business choose one of the things that you or i have just described yeah start doing it now and later on work out something better and what i discovered is mm-hmm. uh the thing that i like i panicked i realized basically the insight i had that set this up for me finally after years of not doing anything was realizing how draining it was to worry about my en- my money and not doing anything about it the worrying oh, about the money is one yeah. thing but to, to worry and then not do anything was the thing that was just killing me and so yeah. it's like i need to do something and so I'll start doing something now. And it turned out, as is often the case in my my life, because I'm a overthinker and a procrastinator, it's like it turned out that the okay thing that I'll start doing now and I'll upgrade to something really good later was actually more than good enough yeah, to last yeah. five, five, six years now for me. So yeah. I might come up with a better thing in the future and that kind of thing. Um, so I just want to ask a question because I think it's kind of like, it's, it's been here. You don't have to answer it, but I just wonder how do your 
with that, because we've done a lot of discussion about money, but you didn't actually talk about the fees that you charge and how oh, you yeah. think about that. And again, you don't have to, because it can feel sensitive, especially because we're kind of couching it in bigger stories about your family finance, given what you said. But like, how does that move with the with the with uh, lasting impact, for example, from to slightly more and slightly less? Like, what kind of numbers are you? charging in those spaces so so my lasting impact program is 1800 which i think is an absolute bargain (laughs) how how does it work what does it look like so you get six months of support we have a group we have a group session every week group coaching every week you have a one to 30 minute one-to-one with me every month there's a deep dive session at the beginning a reflection session at the end one to it's a hybrid sort of group one-to-one thing Um, and also we have an online, we use Slack, we have an online um, group that, where you can kind of share. So, for example, yesterday someone shared a blog that they've written that they just want to get a bit of validation about before they press send. Um, so we all kind of support each other that way. Um, so, yeah, so it's three. And I ask for people to pay that monthly because then again, like I can then see that the money's coming in gradually rather than me getting all like a lump sum. Um in terms and, of and like how many people are in that group like how do you how do you think about the membership and does it does it have a start and an end or is no it, it so work? it's evergreen evergreen so basically uh it i i used to do cohort stuff in in that what i mean by that is people would start at the same time and they would end at the same time and you know that has its advantages but also what i recognize is that some people aren't ready when you're ready to start the program they're just like not in the right place and they don't have the money or you know um they've got childcare responsibilities or looking after elderly parents or whatever it is and so I wanted to create something that people could come into at different times so I sort of enroll once a month sometimes I don't get anybody sometimes I you know this month I've got four people four new people coming in and um and so and, and I think that what what's lovely about that is then you have people who are like we've got people who are at the end of their six month journey, they can also stay on for longer. So I offer like an extra three months at a time if they want to continue with me. Um, uh, yeah, so so it's like an ongoing program and I'm constantly kind of marketing for it and, and, and having conversations with people about it. Um, and it's not enough for me just to do that that does that will not at that let at that pricing that does yeah. not create a financially sustainable business for me um i also do other things so i work so i um i'm an associate for another coach so she sends me some work and she pays me i'm also i have associates so i work with an academy trust and we run all of the coaching across the nine schools in that trust and i pay people to do that associate coaching um and I take you know some of that fee goes to me so I've kind of like got these bits I also do like one like the odd one-to-one coaching and I'm still like and I think this there's a lot of narrative around like don't do the this is an hour of my time this is how much you pay me because there's going to be a ceiling isn't there there's only so many hours you can work but you know people need that so you know I do things like I uh if people are coming to me um for like the odd session and they're paying themselves that's 100 quid an hour if an organization is paying it's 125 quid an hour so that's sort of like i mean i would say that's probably top end for some people in arts and culture like they think that can be quite expensive 
Um, and I know lots of people who charge more, less than that. Um, so yeah, those are my, we're not talking and like, I haven't got into that, um, for want of a better phrase, high ticket stuff yet. But, but that's what I mean about like, I'm recognizing that if I want to be financially independent, if I want to meet my money goal, I have to do something different. I have to like find people who are willing to pay that for coaching because I believe that it's valuable like I believe it's worth that like I'm not just going oh I just want to make money like I actually believe that you can have a massive impact on how people feel about themselves how they show up in the world how they you know invest their money like I'm at the moment I'm really excited about working with I've been doing some work around philanthropy and uh, I hosted a podcast for Kent Community Foundation recently where we talked to a philanthropist and we talked to someone who's researched philanthropy for like 20 years and that really excites me and like how amazing would it be to be able to help someone who has been air quote successful in their business but who's like again that kind of internal conflict of there's more what's more what what's the thing that I can do what's my legacy what do I want to like when I when I die what do I want to have left other than the work that I've done in my organization or my family how have I contributed to the to public good to greater good like that really excites me yeah and and maybe this might be you know we're coming up to time so but but no in I can really hear how that's exciting and 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 I can hear how it kind of resonates with you and the things you've been talking about that are important in your work. And I wonder, I'm going to kind of ask a couple of questions here and then do what you will with it. So one is a question. So um, members of the Coaches Journey community, which is my group coaching program, can at certain levels, one of the benefits they get is they can ask questions of the people that are coming up. And one of them who's spent a lot of time working in the charity sector in different ways, a lot of his impact has been there, was asking how you think about, I think it says on your LinkedIn or website, positive social change. That's a big part of the, the you know, people yeah. you work with or what matters to you. And he, he was at w- wondering, how do you think about that in your work? Is it explicit in the, is there something explicit about the coaching you do or the people you work with? Is it the marketing message that enables the people who are doing that work to come to you? Like, how do you think about that? And I imagine that in there is a question that you gave me as part of the prompts, which is like, what's the why for doing all this for you? So I don't know what, mm. this is, what I love about interviewing people, Sarah, is probably the same when you I don't have to ask coaching questions, right? I can just give you this <laughs> messed jumble of ideas and say, yeah, say yeah, something yeah. to that, Say Sarah. something to that. Wow. Yeah. It is. I think those two things are connected. Positive social, I think I am really explicit about that. But also, I think there needs to be some kind of exploration, interrogation into what we mean by that. You know, when if I think about my do good and do well, often a question that I come to is, well, what is like, whose good are we talking about? And it's that co-creation stuff again, rather than like, well, I think the best thing for you is that we do this. Like, that's my, I'm doing good here. Aren't I good? Um, I think we need to be really careful about that. I think we need to be very clear about why we're doing things, what we're getting out of it, being open about that and making sure that we're not doing harm because we think we're doing good. You know, the whole like 
everything that happened around um, Black Lives Matters and, you know, people kind of really trying to exhaust people of colour to, to get like this. How can I do better? You tell me, you know, I think their intention is that they want to do good. But actually, there's a bit of harm going on there because they're trying to excavate and, and take from others. So, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But um, I, I think I am explicit in that I want my work to contribute to a better world for people for planet so whether that's someone who's interested in environmental sustainability or someone who lives in the community and they they want to support a particular group of people someone who wants systemic change and is driven by that like that that stuff's really important to me and my why i mean it goes back to what I witnessed really growing up, you know, being someone who lived on this council estate where the police would raid houses, um, where, you know, it was nineteen fifty one of those 1950s built housing estates where you sort of put all the poor people together and like create these warrens where they can't get out. <laughs> people can't get in, you know, it felt a bit like that. Um, I'm watching my dad really as a disabled man not live a life of I mean it's not to say that his life was completely devoid of joy and fun and you know it's not that he so my so it's this is a bit of a sad story my my dad died when he was 62 he died on boxing day which was his birthday and he was a twin and we were all there and um there was like three days of awfulness where we thought he was going to go and then he didn't. And if anyone's been in that situation, I'm sure you can, yes, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But um, he, I think, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, when my dad died, he said, he, her dad said, I have no regrets. And my dad had a lot of regrets. Like he didn't ever feel like he was able to live up to his potential he was excluded he felt he was wrong um just you know i it was just a difficult he grew up very poor the doctors didn't understand cerebral palsy in the 1950s like yeah there were lots and lots of things that happened lots of challenges and like i just think why do we want to live in a world where that happens for people? You know, and I know, and things have changed. You know, there are things are better to some extent for some people. Like I really, I really recognise that. And there are lots of things that aren't good for people. That life isn't better. That actually, maybe it's getting worse. And so, you know, if I think if I can bring my skills, my experience, my perspective. Um, and help people who can make a difference, who can help to make change, because we can't do it on our own. We just can't. We need it's a collaborative effort <laughs> to make this world a better place for everybody. You know, and I know some people think that's really idealistic, and sometimes I get like rolled eyes, but it's just 
I would rather live my life like that, trying to make a difference, a positive difference in a way that has integrity and is shame-free and where we get curious about saying, how can we help? How can we do this better? That's my why, really. And that's that's why I think positive social change is it's just something we've got to strive for, surely? <laughs> Question mark at the end. <laughs> Sarah, that was such a, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It feels like we're, we're pretty much at time for this conversation. Mm. It's flown by. Is there anything that we haven't talked about or mentioned that for you feels important to say before we wrap up? I think if you're if someone's listening or not if someone's listening whoever is listening hello um and you know I think this can be hard this like it can be hard to run your own business it can be hard to be a solo coach it can be challenging like it does take courage every day to kind of you know keep doing this thing like I, I suppose I just want to say connect like find your people join things like emcc or association of coach like find the people who share the values that you do and um who you can talk to informally formally invest in a coach whatever you know whatever it is but don't kind of sit there in your office on your own doing it by yourself because it doesn't doesn't need to be like that um so i think yeah that's in terms of like you know what I'd love someone to go away thinking that there are people willing to have the conversation about bank accounts yeah. <laughs> and how much it's yeah. not all hidden and it's not evil to do that and no, you won't be a bad not. person if you charge money and and yeah. like it's like a like it's a great place to finish and it can be really hard and yeah. so don't suffer alone that's what it, yeah here here what a great place mm-hmm. to end the call Sarah thanks so much Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hello, Robbie here again. A couple of quick things before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. Uh, And that is, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the Coach's Journey podcast or joining the Coach's Journey community. Both of those are ways to support the show, help it continue, help it reach more and more people, but they also give you other things that you might be interested in. If you become a supporter, which is paying a small amount of money every month, then you'll get advance notice of guests, perhaps the chance to ask questions of guests, um, depending on what membership level you have, and and more monthly video updates from me, all kinds of other bits and pieces. And if you join the Coach's Journey community, then you get all of that, plus you get to be part of a group coaching program led by me um, and attend group coaching calls up to 10 times a year, have one-on-one coaching with me, and be part of a community of coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses and thrive as people while they do it. And um, one of the members said recently that the word that keeps coming up in the members WhatsApp group is beautiful to describe those calls. And so um, I'd love to have you there on one of those calls. Um, And as a member of the community or a supporter of the show, it would mean the world to me and it helped me to keep doing this thing that I love to do and that many, many people have told me is really helpful for them. So thanks very much for listening and hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon.